Welcome to the People First Leaders Podcast. My name is Doug Utberg, Marine Corps veteran, founder CEO of ExpenseReviews.com, and I have absolutely nothing to sell you. The purpose of this commercial-free show is to honor the leaders who approach life as go-givers by putting their people and customer value first. Stick around until the end of the show, and we'll reveal how you can be our next guest in about 20 minutes. Let's go. All right, we have Lisa Marie Platsky with us today, and we are going to be talking about fulfilling your life's divine purpose. So now, as far as overpromising goes, we're going there. So, you know, we are going to tackle the issue of issues, which is the proverbial meaning of life. Well, actually, that's already been solved. It's 42. But for people who are not fans of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, we are going to be talking about the other divine purpose of our life, which we're here and meant to fulfill. So, Lisa Marie, please introduce yourself. Don't let me monologue. Let's get things going. Well, I love that so much. Lisa Marie Flatsky, and I am the founder and CEO of Upside Thinking Incorporated. And I am delighted to be here with you, Doug. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Okay. So now when I think life's divine purpose, that what that meant to me is has changed over time. When I was younger, I had, you know, big delusions of grandeur, the proverbial, you know, thoughts of world domination, you know, to kind of stuff. <laughs> then it kind of gets turned into, well, you know, I don't, I don't have to be president, you know, maybe I just want to be VP or something like that. Then you say, okay, well, but if I want to have my kids like me and I want to have that high position, it's going to be tough to do both. Some people do it, but it's hard. A lot of times you don't have to pick one, but you end up prioritizing one. And then where I'm kind of at now is that at some point in the unfortunately not all that distant future, I'm going to die. And a day after that, 90% of the people I knew will probably forget that I existed. So I need to stop worrying about what any of those people think and do things that I really like just for me. Tell me if I'm going afield here, because <laughs> if I am, then steer the ship back on course. That is just such a fabulous description of life purpose and kind of the journey that most people go through. And I'll tell you for me, you know, you mentioned what you wanted to be. I wanted to be, I thought for sure I was going to be Wonder Woman and that that was going to be, you know, what I was going to become. And then from there, a whole lot of other possibilities. I feel like we're similar generationally. And so we're talking Linda Carter, Wonder Woman. We are talking Linda the real Wonder Woman. The real Wonder Woman. Well, and with just 30 second tangent, the thing that I always found fascinating is that, you know, because of course, right, you know, Linda Carter, by nature being Wonder Woman for pretty much an entire generation and a half was essentially female superhero sexuality personified. But she was about one of the most like straight laced, traditional conservative people you would ever meet. She had no desire to have that put on her, but it's just where she ended up. Yep. You're right. And, you know, meanwhile, now you think it's like, you know, everybody's trying to be a soft core celebrity on Instagram, but that's another topic for another day. And the thing about her, though, is that it was that dichotomy of who she mm -hmm. was and who she was, you know, the both yeah. and. And so looking back at that in the adult version of me, that's really one of the things, too, that's fascinating is you've got. Every single person 
has got the ability to be the both and the parts of them that are what others would think, oh my gosh, that I, I don't see you as that. But you, when you look in the mirror, see that. And I think that that's really, you know, when you look at purpose and what it is that you want to do, your purpose, you're multifaceted. And it's not that it's going to be put into one small box. And this is exactly what it is. It's like, no, no, a purpose and a calling is enormous and it requires multiple facets of who you are. So it's really interesting that Linda showed up in this interview. So yeah, it's kind of funny. I did not intend for that to be topical, but it's kind of ended up going there. So let's steer the ship back on course here. Walk us through a little more, oh, you know, kind of finding your life's purpose, because I feel like we're already started down the path. Yep. So I, you know, I use me as an example and then in, go into the piece of, of it, you know, what were the tools that I used to be able to do that? And so, you know, for me, I mentioned, you know, wanting to be Wonder Woman and then it became, you know, what am I going to do? I'm going to go to school. And I wasn't somebody that was like, I'm going to go to college. It was a friend in high school that said that, that then turned into college. And then it became, okay, well now what? And, you know, the series that you speak about is looking at where you're at and oftentimes not going, what's my purpose? Like not sitting there, you know, with on the top of the mountain in the uh, cross-legged pose asking what that is. And so I see it as an intersection of values, an intersection of what matters most in order to be able to come up with that determination of what that is. And so for me on the journey, I ended up from banking into federal law enforcement and after federal law enforcement in opening my business 18 years ago. And the reasons why I did it when I look at banking and when I look at law enforcement and I look at being a owning a leadership evolution company, they're the same. Like the purpose didn't change. The, the titles changed and the work that I'm doing has changed. However, the purpose has always remained the same. And I did that in each of those avenues. The one where it came just clearer to me was standing at the crossroads in law enforcement and doing partially what you had just said, which was how in the world can I be successful in marriage and have this 24-7 career with a man who also has a 24-7 career and understand that it's going to work out well for both of us? And I couldn't reconcile that. And so I thought about, well, what is it that matters most? And it took me on a journey to be able to then open my business. But it wasn't like I always wanted to have a business. It wasn't like I this was the thing. It was being in the asking of the questions about who am I, what do I want, and why does it matter that allowed the opening for what really my purpose was or is. And I'm going to riff on what you said just a little bit because when you say, who am I, what do I want, I think there's an extra layer of depth for that, at least for me. Because I grew up and you know, developed into middle age with very heavy people-pleasing tendencies. And so it's, to me, it's disentangling what is it that I actually want versus what am I doing because of other people's expectations or my feelings of obligation? Because until you can separate those two, it's really easy to just kind of veer back into that people-pleasing mindset and just sort of do what's going to make everybody else happy. Absolutely. And when you speak about that, it is 
are you answering the question, who am I with a title? You know, uh, I am a wife, a daughter, an aunt, uh, or are you actually saying like, this is the who I am? Have you defined what that who I am is? And being able to do that without all of the constructs and constraints, I could say isn't the easiest journey to take. It absolutely was not for me. And it has been the one that's been the most freeing. And the more I have gotten clarity on that, the more my business has grown, the more my business has become profitable. Because I'm really clear about me and where it is that I'm going. So therefore, me as the leader in my business, I have the ability to make directions with such make decisions with such conviction, I'm not kind of flailing out there wondering which is mine to do and which is not. Yeah. You know, although I would actually argue that whether it turns out well or not should be irrelevant. Oh, yeah. Because not every decision is going to work out, even if it's a good decision. And the the big things from- Yeah, but it did. There's no guarantee. And that's the thing. There aren't guarantees. That's probably the biggest thing that keeps people stuck is they want things to be guaranteed. And that's just one of the things I've had to kind of come to grips with for me is that you have to detach from the outcome. Do I want things to work out? Of course they do. But if I'm attached to the outcome, then I'm going to get sullen when they don't. And sometimes doing the right thing doesn't work out. And that's just a part of life. But then the the other thing that I was really thinking about that I wanted to get your thought on or your view on is that I think that a lot of times the really important internal work on yourself, I think that for a lot of us, most people won't willingly do that unless you're going through some fairly severe emotional trauma. Just because like really deep self-work isn't fun until you get to the point where you sort of feel like you don't have any other options. I think there's a tendency to just kind of push it off away. I mean, you know, tell me if this is just my weird way of processing the world speaking, but. I would say that you're right, that when I opened my business and got into the, you know, leadership coaching, I thought it was going to be all the tactical stuff, hiring, firing, you know, anything tactical. And when I got into really working one-on-one with leaders, so many of them were at a crossroads or crisis or something to navigate that required them to either perish or evolve, like, you know, one or the other, that an iteration in order to be able to take the next step. And at the same time, do I believe that everybody has to be in that? No, there are a small percentage of people who go, I recognize that I am not, that I'm, I'm at a place where there's no more I'm at a loss for answers. I can't figure out what it is is getting in the way and I've got to, but it's not necessarily a life crisis or a divorce or an addiction or something like that. It's just simply that they're coming up against a wall and every tactical answer isn't producing the result. And so, you know, I just noticed that I did a retreat a couple of weeks ago and I noticed that the five leaders that were on the retreat I couldn't figure out why this retreat, out of all the retreats I've done over the years, why this one was so exquisite. And I was like, what, what is it about it? And I went, oh, these five people have self-selected the, the journey for the deeper examination and being willing to go, like, how do I get better without it being something that, as you speak about, is crisis? And so from that place of choice, 
the experience was different with those leaders than other retreats I've been at where somebody is there because they're going, oh my gosh, my life is burning. I, you know, things are on fire and I need to look now. I'm forced to look. So they are out there, but you're right. There are a lot of people where it comes because they don't have a choice or they have a choice. They always have a choice. They, yeah. Well, just because my observation is that in order to consciously make an emotionally difficult change, there are comparatively few people who have the level of emotional maturity to do that in a real way. And because of course, right, you go through lots of you know, personal development, all that kind of stuff, but it's usually pretty surfacey. Those real, real deep changes that you have to do a, a lot of really serious, okay, why do I do what I do? What does this really mean? What am I getting out of these counterintuitive, seemingly self-destructive behaviors? Because there has to be something, otherwise you wouldn't do it. And that's really painful to go through. And in a lot of cases, I feel like you kind of have to, there are some people who have that maturity. I didn't. <laughs> you kind of have to go through a rock bottomy type of experience in order to sort of really force yourself to go through that, to unpack that bag. Yeah. You talk about this in terms, you, you use words that I have, I really have such an appreciation and such compassion for, you know, when you use like the trauma and the something to come up against. And, you know, that for me is where when I look at my life's journey, you know, to get to this point, to be standing here today, every time that I think that I'm someplace and I can see clearer, I look back and go, oh, yeah, like I wasn't as far along as I thought that I was. And I needed that experience to propel me. And so that's why even when you talked about everything works out exactly perfectly to take me to the next place, even if it's not what I expected, even if it's not what I thought was going to happen. And sometimes I forget about that. Like sometimes it falls out of my head and I'm like, well, yeah, that's right. Everything works out. So it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if there's the flood in my house or the tornado or the what. It's always going to work out well. And I feel like when you're in an organization and you're making the decision to examine this and you're in the making the decision to look at your purpose, coming back to that understanding that it's all going to work out. And those are all designed, those traumas and those experiences are designed to make us better if we stay the course, if we don't give up on ourselves. Yeah. Well, and I think too, when you really embrace that, what it does is it allows you to let go of being attached to an outcome. Because like, for example, I'm a Gen Xer. And us Gen Xers were all, you know, all grew up knowing that there was a right way and a wrong way to do everything. And the right way that you do things should involve a tremendous amount of accumulation of financial assets, or at least that's what I spent the first half of my life, the first half of my expected lifespan believing. But the thing that you eventually figure out is that when you accumulate a bunch of stuff, it becomes a prison because you have to take care of it and you have to maintain it and you have to insure it. It's like, okay, you know, I want to go on vacation. All right, well, you know, I'm going to need to have somebody come and watch the pets. I'm going to have, to have come, someone come and water the pots. And then, yeah, somebody needs to go drop us off the airport. Somebody needs to pick us up at the airport. And it just becomes this if eternally compounding logistical problem. It's like, and okay, you know, let's say the worst happens. Let's say you lose your house. Let's say there's a giant recession. Like, okay, well, now I'm going to go live in an apartment. What does that really mean? It doesn't really mean anything. Just less space you get to deal with and less space you need to deal with. But for whatever reason, tremendous amount of us just were like, oh my God, I failed. It's like, no, you didn't fail. You're still here. That means you didn't fail. As long as you're still trying, you haven't given up, you haven't failed. Failure hasn't hit you yet. And 
But for whatever reason, a lot of us are just wired. And I hate to say the word society because people are like, well, society says, I'm like, there's nobody named society. Society is just a group of people and it's mostly our self-imposed expectations because of the people that we choose to listen to. But for whatever reason, people have this idea ingrained in their head that is largely fictional. It's a construct of our imagination. And because for whatever reason, we think that if we don't do X, then we won't compare favorably to other people who truthfully don't care about us as much as we really think. It's like Tyler Durden says in Fight Club, right? People buy things they don't need with money they don't have to impress people they don't like. It's a kind of a snotty, snarky way of saying it, but it's a little truer than a lot of us would want to admit. Well, I tell my clients all the time, look around at your house, the things that you have, look around. And as you look around at everything that you have and you pick it up and you go, all right, this is my pen. This is my whatever. Understand that that once was money for you and understand that that money was once time for you. And as you look at all those things, are you really happy about what you exchanged your precious minutes of your life for? And if you can go, yep, I look around and I am so happy that I exchanged my precious time, my entire life, what my life stands for, for this, well, then that's great. It doesn't matter whether you've got 16 exotic cars or you've got the house. If that is the thing that you go, I've done this via choice. And if it's not, and if it's like, no, I did this because this is the thing that I thought that I was supposed to do. I thought that I was supposed to buy the house and get the car and get the pets and do. Then that's when it's about going back and going, well, what is my life really about? And what does it stand for? What am I going to do about it now? Like, how am I going to course correct or change? So I'm all right if you've got all the stuff, if you've made it with conscious choice and you go, yep. You know, I strap on my Rolex and I'm doing that because I love this watch and I think it's an incredible timepiece. But if you're doing that because you're hoping somebody sees it and goes, wow, you know, that's when it gets in the way of, if we're to go back to divine purpose, you know, that's when it really, it it gets in the way because it's not really attached to, there's that word attached again. It's not really, you know, attached to interconnected to the who you are, to the what you want, and to the why it matters for whatever is yours to do on the planet. It's about somebody else. And, you know, have there been times in my life where that's been me, where, you know, I bought the bag or the suit, hoping that then that would somehow elevate my value and my worth? Yes. But that goes back to my own personal value and worth. And when I understand who I am, I'm not attached to that anymore. I mean, I I live on a farm. And I never thought I'd be living on a farm. Yeah, well, and I think that what you hit on is really important, right? It isn't like stuff, yes, stuff, no. It's more stuff intentional. In other words, if you live on a farm, it should be because you really legitimately want to live on a farm, not because you think that's what you're supposed to do. If you have a Rolex watch, it should be because that's really legitimately what you want, not because what you think it's what's going to impress other people. And I think just for so many of us, myself included, for a really long time, you don't know the difference between the two. Yeah. To me, it's it's about figuring out that difference. And that requires quiet. That requires space. That requires time. If your life is so full and so busy and there's so many things in it, it's harder to make that differentiation. Yeah. No, I really feel like the reason that's what the farm has given me, the ability to walk around and to be quiet. 
I'm forced to be quiet. Yeah, exactly. All right. Lisa Marie, this has been exceptional conversation. Give everybody out one or two last thoughts and then tell us all where we can find out some more. Give us your website or uh, and or your uh, favorite social networks. Well, my website is www.upsidethinking.com, U-P-S-I-D-E and the word thinking, T-H-I-N-K-I-N-G.com. And my favorite social platforms are Facebook and LinkedIn. You'll find me Beautiful. hanging out on both of them. And I, you know, I'm just such a fan of the opportunity to be in real conversations on those platforms. I'm not interested in just the posting for the looking good. I really want to have the dialogue and the, the meaningful dialogue. And the last thing Virtual to leave- signaling that involves no personal sacrifice at all. Exactly. <laughs> and I'm I such a fan- to be tongue-in-cheek you know, snarky. And- I'm on my best behavior, Doug. <laughs> All right. Well, Lisa Marie, I really, really appreciate your time today. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. All right. Excellent. Thank you so much for listening to the People First Leaders podcast. If you are a successful People First founder or CEO who would like to be on this show, please visit peoplefirstleaders.net forward slash guest. If this interview resonated, would you please share it on social media? Just take a quick screenshot on your phone and post it on your favorite social channel. Then make sure to tag me at Doug Value so I can give you and your business a shout out on a future episode. If you know somebody who'd be a great guest, please tag them on social and include the hashtag PeopleFirstLeaders. I really love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. We're releasing new content and episodes all the time. So make sure to hit the subscribe button so you don't miss any new episodes. Your thumbs up, ratings, and reviews go a long way to help promote the show, and they mean a lot to me personally. And also, I would like to connect with you on social. My handle is at Doug Value, or you can just go to peoplefirstleaders.net where all of the links are posted. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.